What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 20. My name is James Scully. Today on Breaking Walls, I sit down for a chat with Olive Hui and John Lashlevsky. They are two of the three-piece members of Late Cambrian, an incredibly talented, popular, Brooklyn-based indie rock guitar pop band. I wanted to sit and talk with Olive and John about different ways that you can cull together all of your skills to string along your ability to make rent month to month, to be happy, to find that your passion is being satiated, and to make the kind of art that you want to make, or on a broader level, to live the kind of life that you want to live. Today is August 1st, and August 1st on the Wall Breakers means a change in topic. Our theme for the month of August is harvest. I get that theme because when you build out of the month of July and you think about revolution independence, once you do that and once you make a decision in your life to go a certain direction, you're going to have to cull together different skills in order to sustain yourself on a month-to-month basis and grow and find your levels of happiness also growing with you at the same time. Now, on a world level, in August, harvest season really happens. And that is the last time of the year before the autumn where people are gathering crops, harvesting grains, putting new kinds of fruit on the table. Sure, Things blossom in all seasons, but it's important because you'll notice that if you live in New York or uh, if you live on the East Coast of America, you'll see people going apple picking, pumpkin picking in the month of September and October. If you're on the East Coast or the West Coast in America, you'll see people going to wineries, having those wine tastings, spending the last time outdoors that they can spend while the weather is still warm enough to enjoy it. Harvest season, and more importantly, August, marks the beginning of change. It's the end of summer. It's the beginning of fall. And we know that fall is a time where you're going to be going to dinner parties. You're going to be doing these fun, festive events that last through the end of the year. Fall is the time that we bring the joyous seasons of spring and summer that we experience outside in the world into the home and use them for our own lives and the people that we care about and raise our own happiness levels because of it. This is episode 20 of Breaking Walls. We're doing this, guys. We're really doing this. It's episode 20. And I hope that you have been enjoying the level of interviews that I have been presenting to you as often as I can. I'm going to try to put these out on the 1st of the month and the 15th of the month each month. And uh, last month, I was sick at the beginning of July, as I've mentioned. So we had a podcast release on the 15th and on the 22nd of July. And then again, now here on the 1st of August. So it's a little bit more bunched up, but after this episode, it'll return back to a normal schedule. So as I always say to you guys, and if this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, I'll say that you can get these podcasts by going to iTunes, searching for The Wall Breakers, and subscribing. Then whenever a new podcast comes out twice a month, you will automatically receive these podcasts downloaded to your device, be it your smartphone, be it your Apple computer, be it your iPad tablet. If you don't feel like subscribing on iTunes, you can also go to soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers. Then if you follow us there, every time that you come to SoundCloud, when we have recently released a track, it'll show up in your feed and you can play it. You can also just go to soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers in order to listen to these podcasts. They always present themselves to you in descending chronological order, so the newest one will be the first one that you see. Also, if all else fails, come to thewallbreakers.com, and please come to thewallbreakers.com anyway. And at the top of each page, in the right-hand rail, 
you'll see a module also playing these podcasts in descending chronological order. If you're interested in these podcasts and you like what we have been doing, or even if you dislike it for one reason or another, please rate us, review us, tell me why, and tell me what I could do to make these better. Tell me what I'm doing right. Tell me what you think I'm doing wrong. Explain to me your mental process. Also, if you've been listening to these intermittently and sometimes you pick them up, sometimes you put them down, I'd love to know. How can I break into your daily routine or your weekly routine? How can we spread this word? How can I reach out to you and find out what's going on in your life that we can present as a topic as well? The way that I set these interviews up each month is I think about the overall topic, like in this month it's harvest. Then I think about the kinds of people that I know. Then I think about the kinds of topics that I could build for those people. These are not stock topics. I handcraft all of these topics for the particular guests because that's the way that I think you have to do it in order to present compelling interviews that get to the heart of who these people are. I want to thank, before I even get into this interview, John and Olive for the amount of time that they donated to me last week in recording this interview. I'm very blessed to have met these two people and to be able to call them friends of mine. It's one of these things sometimes in life where you do have to put yourself out there that's a recurring theme, as we know, on all of these podcasts and in my writing in general. Because if you think about it, what's the alternative to that in life? Just constantly sitting in an emotional closet and never getting anywhere? No, that's ridiculous. We, we know we have to put ourselves out there. It's difficult sometimes. The more we do it, the easier it gets because the more confidence we have. I always talk about how most of these podcasts present the world in a way where we have to be entrepreneurial or we have to learn new skills in order to succeed. I don't mean that if you're working a job and you're enjoying yourself that there's something wrong with that. That's the last thing I want to say. Yeah, in general, I would say that I am a more entrepreneurial person. But the word entrepreneur itself doesn't necessarily have to mean branching out on your own, starting your own business. It's just a way to look at life and to be as self-aware as possible and to try to learn as much skills as we can. Skills don't stop the day we graduate high school or college. You have to keep learning as life goes on or life will pass you by and it will affect your happiness, and your ability to be present in your own body. This topic, this month, for this interview, talking about ways that, and in particular, John and Olive are musicians and artists, they can call together the income that they need to sustain themselves each month and talk about the things that they have learned. How do you make it as an indie artist in today's world? That could be a musician, that could be an illustrator, that could be a wedding planner, that could be, like Olga Larsenko, an interior designer, a mortgage broker, you name it. You're still in some ways a person who is an indie person because you are independent in your own skin. So we're all indie. Let's just say that right now. We're all creators and we're all indie because if you think about it, what would the alternatives be to that? If you're not creating, you're just consuming. I don't think any of us want to just consume anything without putting back into the world. It doesn't make any sense. If you're not indie in some way, what are you then? Are you just a slave attached to someone else's wants and desires? No, we all have independent minds and we all have independent thoughts. I hope that you like this interview today. Sometimes when I edit these interviews, I make sure that I go in and cut out some dead air in between questions and answers and it cuts down on the amount of time for the interview. This one I left a little bit slower than most of the other ones that we've had. And I think that's because when John, Olive, and myself talk, we tend to talk loud and fast. So we need those pauses in between questions for people like yourself listening to catch your breath, to process what's being said, to think about how you feel about all of this, and then go on continuing to digest information. 
This is the longest interview that I have ever presented to you guys. I did not want to cut it. I don't want to make it two parts. If you do think that 90 minutes, uh, an hour and 45 minutes is too long for whatever reason, please let me know that too. Sometimes I feel like if you cut it somewhere in the middle, it will disjoint your listening experience. I don't want that. I want you to feel like you're going along for a ride from start to finish. When I sit down for these interviews, I don't necessarily have written questions. I don't believe that. I have bullet points that I want to hit. I have them clearly delineated for myself so that as these conversations get more and more passionate while they're going on, I can help steer them and keep you guys interested. John and Olive, fantastic guests, fantastic people, very accessible. They're going to sit with me and you're going to get to hear their thoughts on being an indie artist, on culling together happiness, rent, all the things that we need to succeed in life on a month-to-month, -month, on a day-to-day, -day, on a week-to-week -week basis. And they're going to do it right after this pause. So stay tuned for John Wyshlewski and Olive Hui of Lake Cambrian. Hey guys, back on Breaking Walls, and my guests today are the multi-talented Olive Hui and John Wyshlewski. And I wanted to sit down and talk with John and Olive because they're in a band together called Lake Cambrian. And I wanted to ask them questions about what it's like to thrive as an indie band in New York City while making good music, having fun, and different ways to put your passions out into the world. So I want to welcome Olive and John to Breaking Walls. Hello. It's awesome to be here. Thank you. And you made a great tuna salad. Oh, thank you so, so much. Good. Is it okay that I talk about the tuna it salad? It is totally okay. Right. With eggs in it. With just, eggs. just learn. First question I'm going to ask you, John in particular, how does the word indie sit with you? Like when you think about someone calling Lake Cambrian an indie band or you're an indie artist, do you think that's a trite, overused word or does that wet your palate the right way? Well, I feel like the word indie automatically lends your band some kind of credibility, like that you're not in it for the money, that you're not in it for like the wrong reasons. But we don't have an indie rock sound, so it's not really accurate to what we're making. But it feels so weird to call ourselves just a pop band, so I have to call our band a, a guitar pop band, which kind of makes it more about the music and less about like, oh, I'm trying to make people dance, which is not a bad thing. But, but like, so, so I've been calling the band an indie guitar pop band, which means that it's independent, we're doing it ourselves, and guitar is the main instrument, and it's pop, so it's very melodic. But I know that indie rock makes people think of a different sound. Okay. So, yeah, so I don't think it's, it's not really accurate to us, but it's kind of like a handicap that, that I use to make sure people know that we don't want to sound like Maroon 5 or Ed Sheeran or something that's purely for the radio. Mm -hmm. So it's com I have a complicated relationship to the word indie, which is probably what you're saying. And now a song that you, would, you produced, the label needed a single. Yeah. In some ways, that pokes fun. I think it pokes fun at yourself in some ways, the kind of sound that you guys produce. Yeah. But the general, the way that people compartmentalize things or the way that people feel like they need to segment things into certain categories, to me, that song that really is poking fun at just the general process of making music in today's world. Yeah, I mean, it's the second song on Peach. I would have felt weird totally leading off, but it is like, it's, it's in the first three, which were the main songs. 
it comes from a story that Brendan, the, the singer from Weedis, told me about uh, how after they made their first album and it went platinum, they went in and recorded a second album, and when they turned the album in, uh, the CEO of Sony called him, called Brendan and his lawyer into a room with, and said, we're not going to release this, there's no single on here, you have to go and record an entire new album for us. And instead of, instead of saying, okay, okay, we'll do that, Brendan said, well, I guess I should just go get another job then, because this is the album I made. And then the CEO of Sony said, well, if that's how you feel about music, then you can just take your fucking album and get out of here. And uh, Brendan's lawyer was in the room, and he was like, shh, Brendan, don't say anything. So they just let, he let that just hang out there in the wind from the CEO of Sony, and because the CEO of Sony said that in a room with a lawyer, Brendan was able to take his album and get the fuck out of Sony. Whereas usually what they would do is, we don't like your album, we're going to shelve it. You can't use or, or play any of that music and your whole career screwed. Right, but so. he let the guy's emotions get the best yeah. of him. Yeah. And mm -hmm. Legally, he made a, a, a faux pas. Yep, because um, they expect you to just bow to them immediately. Like, we don't like your album, you have to record a new one. And they would expect for him to be like, oh, fuck, yeah, let's do it. we have to record it. I'll, I'll get them in right away. You just give us some songwriters, we'll do anything you want. And instead, it was like, this is what I like, this is what I want to release. I'm but willing to walk away. Meanwhile, yeah. I think Led Zeppelin didn't have a single on any of their albums until maybe In Through the Outdoor or De something. Yeah, yeah, like until towards the, the end, they didn't release any singles. So it's Yeah, All My Love was a single, but that is In Through the Outdoor, you're right. Right. So it shows you that you can certainly release albums that make lots of money without releasing singles. Yeah, the 70s is really funny because all their albums sold like over 10 million copies each. People would wait online like the day it comes out. And now you can just kind of get it online for free or download it on your phone. And it's like a big deal if your album sells 2 million copies a year, that's, that'll be like the biggest album of the year. Um, we, we, have a different, we have a different environment now. Do you believe there's an oversaturation of that environment? In what sense? Because it's easy for you to, or easier than at one time for you to get your music out to the mass audience. Does that mean there's a lot of shitty bands doing that that aren't good or aren't in for the... Well, there's no right or wrong reason, but not for pure reasons. Does it dilute your message? I see what you mean. On one hand, there's a lot of great music that's great for different reasons that you can get now that you wouldn't be able to get if everything had to go through the label first. Because mm -hmm. if it's just a major label, then you're only going to hear the Led Zeppelin. You might not hear the other 500 bands that might be better. Or they might have something different to offer, but, but where it like major label material. Okay. Um, but then on the other hand, oversaturation. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of people out there that have terrible music, but after a while, it just kind of falls away. Like, it's not going to go anywhere, and then that person just kind of gives up, you know. Or maybe forms another band that's better, I don't know. But, like, you get instant feedback. So if you're making music and it's bad, and then people are like, I have no interest in this then you won't continue on that path forever and put 10 years into it, perhaps. Maybe you, you, you get like instant feedback, so maybe you can get better faster. Um, so, Do you think it's a way that, it's a good way to be direct and honest with your audience and vice versa? That you can release these singles and these albums immediately, you can get that kind of feedback. And like you're saying, you might know what you need to fix immediately, or you might think like, well that's not, correct at all, even though you feel that way, you're missing our message and still go back to the drawing board and figure out a new way to get that message out. 
I mean, you know, Weezer's four, fourth album, Maladroit, which I actually think is really good and is underrated. They did it by, they posted all the songs, all these songs that they wanted to put on the album on their website for streaming. Yeah. And asked all their fans which ones they liked best. And, and then, that was a big deal at the yeah, time. I oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then they, then based on fan opinions, some stuff made it on that they weren't going to include. And some stuff they, the way he is, he wrote some stuff right there and then that, that got on the album too. But a lot of it was by, you know, he was able to reach out to the fans directly. You can't do, you couldn't have done that. Okay. Ten years ago. Right. You know, and you would have to wait for the band's album and then it would come out. And what if it only had one single and then nine really shitty songs? You paid money for it. Nothing you could do about it. Yeah. When you bought the vinyl, you put it on, you're like, I like one song. That's $10 down the tube. Now they can all pick and go, we like this one, we like that one, include this one. You give them exactly what they want. I made that mistake with yeah. Tump Thumping by Chumbawamba. <laughs> I like. I haven't uh, brought you into the conversation yet. I want to read a quote from you that you've said to me. And it is, I'm pretty direct and honest. I do challenge people to come out of their comfort zone sometimes. My nostalgic Asian upbringing and the freedom I gained as an adult in America shaped my art direction. Because for those people that don't know, you're also an illustrator. So now, you grew up in Hong Kong, correct? Yes. When did you first know that you wanted to move to America? What were your reasons for wanting to move to America, specifically New York? I know you joke with me and say that it was always destined because your birthday is July 4th, so therefore <laughs> you were always supposed to be in America. But take me through this process. How old were you when you came here? Why did you make the decision to come here? And what were some things that you immediately realized that were completely different and maybe the same at the same time? Okay, thank you for bringing me in the conversation. So the quote <laughs> that I gave you was, uh, was it like two years ago? Yeah, a few years Around ago. It was there. about specifically about your illustration style, but I think it fits your personality. Yes. Um, <laughs> of course, like I changed too, but, but that is uh, the core of... of how I am. Like, I am a, an honest person. I would like to think that. And first of all, thank you for featuring my illustrations sure. in The Wall Breakers. When I was young, I felt like I didn't really fit in. My peers are all really great students. They are, they, they all grew up, you know, getting all A's and uh, being doctors and having like great professions. And I just love to do my little projects. I like to imagine, I like to think, I like to draw, and I feel like I need my own adventure. And I, my parents are very supportive. And I remember thinking when I was in high school that my mom irons my uniform every morning. But, uh, but I am growing up, I should, I should um, be more responsible. So I thought, hey, um, I love watching 90210 so much. I read English books. I read um, the Sweet Valley Twins and Babysitter's Club. And yes, my birthday is 4th of July, so I thought I must belong there. Like, let me start my new life in America. Let me try it out. Um, so I, I don't know how, as someone who was like 19, I was thinking about starting something new for myself. And... And I did it. And I went to apply for a school. I studied in New Jersey for two years and then transferred to New York. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's all a part of a, a big journey and didn't really know why I would have that thought in the beginning, except that I feel like I love adventures and I have to try and see where it'll take me. I think it's interesting that you just said, I don't know why I had that thought in the beginning. And maybe sometimes, even if you don't understand why you had the thought, that you had it is enough. The only way to get to the bottom of the feeling behind it is to go see why. <laughs> and I wonder if both of you, you know, John, you're a musician. That's an artist. You're a musician too, Olive. You're a, an artist in the sense that you also create illustration. I'm also an artist. Take me to the beginning of creating art, of being a musician, of growing up in Queens and listening to certain bands, understanding that you wanted to do what they were doing, that feeling behind you. And even if you didn't necessarily understand why the feelings were coming as they were coming at that point in time, but you knew it was part of you and you had to do it. What was that like for you, personally, John? I got a guitar when I was 18 because my sister got a guitar for Christmas and didn't want it and sold it to me for $20. So you never played any instruments until you were 18 years old? Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, the, I was, well, for people who don't know, I'm adopted, so my parents are Irish and Polish, but I'm Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it was part of their, they didn't think that we should introduce him to the arts per se. It was more like my dad made me join baseball, basketball, karate, swimming, like anything that would be like a, an American sport that would like kind of get me into team sports and help mm -hmm. me have friends and all that kind sure. of stuff, which is all good. And I quit every single one of them. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a team sport kind of guy. Uh, I remember sitting in a car um, outside the baseball field, like crying and having my dad explain to the coach I don't want to play anymore. And then the coach had to come up to the, come up to the car and go, John, why don't you want to play? And you, you know, you, you're not having any fun. And then, um, and then later I found out later that for the rest of that season, um, and this tells you everything you need to know about where I grew up in Queens, every time someone screwed up, they'd be like, don't be like John. Like I was, I became the bad example. Um, for, for quitting baseball. Okay. Um, so yeah, not a team sport kind of guy. But then when I got, my sister got a guitar and I bought the guitar off of her, uh, it was a really good way to express myself because I guess at that point in my life, I was better at expressing myself through guitar than just talking to people. Okay. It's pretty shy. I'm not a shy guy now. Back then, I was just super shy. <laughs> um, so it, it helped me communicate. And, and it also helped me like discipline myself. So I would, I would sit in my room and play guitar for eight hours a day, and that is not an exaggeration. People say they do that. I actually did it. Like eight hours a day. I would buy Guitar World magazines. There'd be like a like a seven-hour practice routine, and it would be on tablature since I couldn't read music at the time, and I would just learn, I would just do everything in, in the exercise all day, and then it would be time for dinner. Um, so early on, music was, was actually really good for me. And then writing my own songs after that was, was really funny, because I was really into metal at the time. So all the music I wrote was like super heavy, and the lyrics were super depressing. But like they were just like ripoffs. I didn't like write music. I would just be like, "Oh, Metallica did this, and maybe I should do it too." It's like it was such a it's such a weird journey to a point where you finally are just being yourself with music. Well, I think um, maybe sort of you used music because you said you were shy at the time, and music was a self-expression. And talking about the journey as a musician, I'm assuming then, obviously, that 
music for you has been a journey to finding out who you truly are at the same time. Well, it's funny, and I'm not a superstitious person, not even like a spiritual person, but there was a book called The Secret Language of Destiny. Okay. You know the people who make, there's a book called The Secret Language of Birthdays, and it pretty much breaks down people in the entire world by their birthday based on thousands upon thousands of interviews and profiles on different famous people that are born on that one day and all the things they might think they all had in common. Well, their book, The Secret Language of Destiny, uses your birthday and other stuff that tells you what the destiny of someone like yourself might be, what your balance is in life. And my balance, specifically for me, is the balance between inspiration and imitation, which I thought was really a weird thing to have to learn, but it says that someone like me has to learn to have an original voice and not just be really good at imitating what everyone else does. Okay. And I did start out imitating people. And then even when I'm feeling a little blocked, uh, inspiration-wise, mm -hmm. or I'm feeling like, why does no one understand the music I'm doing? The temptation is very strong to go listen to the radio and then write a bunch of things that I've heard on the radio. Like, I have a very strong pull towards... Just because I can do it, I can just imitate people right away. Not like imitate their voice, but like write like them. Do do what exists really successfully. But that's me failing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm not saying this book is right about me. I just thought it was an interesting lesson to learn. To learn to just be inspired. To go inside, whatever that means. And then, and then the thing that truly only came from you and isn't a rip-off of anything is actually you doing the best version of yourself. Right. So... And you're, That's what I've learned, I guess, more so than anything. But um, you're calling that a failure. Well, you not know, because there's anything wrong with it, but yeah. because you're, it's like a cop out. Because, you know that because you can do it easy. well, but it's right. It's easy, but it's not yeah. truly you. It's just something that you can do. It's a failure because it's not the highest version of the potential I have as a musician. Mm -hmm. Just being able to like, oh, I like that Weezer song. I can just write a bunch of Weezer songs, or like, you know. This song got really. This song's doing really well. Let me let me let me just write a song that it's just in that genre exactly like that, and I can I can do it. But that's that's just like being on an assembly line putting a putting a bolt on a car's wheel. Right. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So that's different than driving the car or designing the car. So inspiration would be maybe designing the car, and imitation would be maybe just like doing something that's already pre-made. So I I can do that. So that's what my journey, I feel like that's what my journey as a musician has been. Going from just being able to do whatever I want, but it's like not original, to like listening to a personal voice. So I want these conversations, and this one in particular, to also yeah. be good advice for people, and mm -hmm. as you know. And what you just said is great advice. Oh, okay. But we spoke at the beginning about your friend, the lead singer of Wheatus, yeah, who basically was able to tell the record company to stick it and kept his own voice. Mm -hmm. And what you just spoke about just now was discovering your own voice and conveying it to other people to a point where you're being yourself and now they understand you at the same time. If I was a different person, that same story I would have told you to tell you how stupid Brendan was for not going in right. and how stubborn he was. But you he, know. But he I stayed instead, to himself. Yeah, exactly. Throughout. My point of view on it was the reverse. Sure. That he chose his own voice over what might be monetary or celebratory success. Right. Which, to the public at large, might sound like the dumbest, like he just threw a lottery ticket in the trash or something. But to me, I feel like he couldn't live with it if he just went in. I mean, and it's also hard to write a full album. Like, that would have been like, oh, I have to write 11 songs and record them. 
yeah. and learn them. And I know him and I know how much work he puts in and how like OCD and obsessive he is about getting it perfect. I think it would have killed him to write a whole second album knowing that one he had is just sitting there and then just the label is not get it. Right. So. Absolutely. You know, and when I talk to him, he's always like, John, you and I, like, we're just, we're choosing the hardest path possible because we just, we can't help it, you know. But you're and choosing I, yeah. the true path at the same time for yourself because you're That's, yeah, you're and being that's genuine. a complicated thing because in a capitalistic music world, the, the hardest path it might be the truest path, but in real, but in real life, or in your your bigger, larger life decisions, just for you, the the truest path, the easiest path, because you he couldn't live with himself if he just said, okay, I guess I'll sell out. Bring in a couple of writers, write me some pop songs, I'll record them for you guys. Right. But that's that would how, that would be harder for him. That's how addiction easier. starts. Yeah. <laughs> like self medication. Because mm-hmm. then it's like he's living with this thing he did every day, like every day. He's yeah. Like, I don't believe in any of these. I'm singing these lyrics that but I they're hate, not me. And, I, and this chord progression makes me cringe because I never would have done that because everyone does it, you know. Mm-hmm. So maybe in, in the big scheme of things, yeah, the true path would be easier while both of them are hard. Right. Exactly. You know? The true path is the only one you can live with. That's the difference. Yes. Okay. And that goes back yes. to something, Olive, that you said a few minutes mm-hmm. ago where you talked about going on the adventure because you looked at your life and you said, I've got to go do something with my life mm-hmm. to feel like me. I think even as a younger person, everyone knows there is something out there. Right. So whether it's a purpose, whether it's what makes you happy, you have to be active to search for it. So um, it's interesting that earlier we had a, a discussion about painting and doing abstract painting or drawing something that looks like real life, still life. You know? Right. And it, it's interesting because John also brought that up about imitating other people's um, uh, music style or uh, the way they sing. And in visual arts, it's the same thing. I think that in the beginning, we learn, we copy, we copy those like masterpieces, and then people give you compliments. You're like, oh, I'm on the right path. But somehow, if you have a completely different approach, you can paint, use your fingers, do anything you want and do an abstract piece, that could also be a way. And sometimes I think we have to switch it up because I used to be able to draw things um, very close to what I see. And I get frustrated when my teacher said, oh, hey, I love it. And I want to do something abstract, but I couldn't do it because I'm used to doing just, uh, you know, perfectionist likeness to Sure. So I think it's good to challenge yourself to do something that you're good at, but also something that you don't know you can do. Well, I do think it's important as an artist, it's not the most important thing, but to be able to draw things or to paint things true to form as well, because then you do understand the form so that you can break from it. Like if you look at things that Picasso was painting when he was six, (laughs) literally six years old, they would be masterpieces that are hanging in the Met right now for their (laughs) realism. And that's why by the time he was 20, he had to break from that because he had already outgrown it at that point. So it's good sometimes to know what's true to life, what's what is right in front of us and we're looking at, so then you can say, I understand that, I'm now going to deviate from that because I get it and I can know how to go back to that if I want to. And ordinarily, I might ask you right now about some of your musical journey and things like that, but I want to stop 
for a second and just say, yeah. now you guys are in a band together. Yes. You live in New York. Mm -hmm. Now you're a couple. You live together. So financially, though, how are you staying afloat? Because I want people to yeah. hear the rest of this interview and not think, oh, but eh, that's not. I can't do that. I, I'm not able to do that. Mm -hmm. You're making this happen. You these, know, these trust fund kids, just their parents <laughs> paying for them to do their art. Hey, if this you happen to be a trust fund kid and you're listening to this, more power to you. I have some bridges that I'd like to sell you, as a matter of fact. Mm. But uh, <laughs> how are you guys staying afloat from month to month, week to week? How, how are you calling together enough money to keep going and pursuing these passions? I think artists, especially artists in New York or in Brooklyn, constantly, every day, you think about money and passion or well, can it be the same thing but like to me i don't care how i get the money from it can, like uh i could work as a freelance um voiceover talent i could be teaching someone something um i also am a union actor so i do background work on tv and films you don't don't let your job define who you are it's just your job I think it's so important to do something you love every day and don't have any excuse not to do it. Sure. And find a way to be yourself. It really doesn't matter what you do. Just don't be lazy. Well, <laughs> right, because now, once again, if Come you have a 9 to 5 and you're happy, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Especially, and if you have a 9 to 5 with a side project, mm -hmm. it's good because you have steady income that you can know about and you know you're going to get every week, every two weeks, whatever. But you just yeah. said... Don't be lazy. Yes. And I think sometimes the unknown can make us lazy because we're afraid of stepping through that doorway because we don't know what's there. And what's there is a lot of work for us. You so we might go back. Before you get there. So if you just imagine some well, obstacle in the way. There's routine in having a nine to five job. And that is almost like not stepping through the door. It's like, well, at least I know this will be here tomorrow. You know, and I, I, so I know what you're saying. And it's. It's hard for a majority of people. Well, here's the thing. First of all, you have to, if you haven't done any soul searching, you don't know what makes you happy. That's a good point. So then you wouldn't, you know, you're going to be like, I'm just going to buy a lot of stuff on eBay every day because somehow this is comforting me into believing that what I'm doing is in some way satisfying. You know, if you haven't soul searched. I mean, there, and then there are people out there who may have soul searched and figured out that they want to be a musician or an artist more than anything. But that was when they were 18 and they were in college and they were still idealists. Right. And then around 23, they were like, it's impossible. Um, so you, well, your main question was, how do we do it? Because you, you want your listeners to, to be inspired yes. by our lives and how we live them. <laughs> and I, I just want to say, also, you just used a word that's a, a key word of mine. You said okay. idealist. <laughs> I'm very idealistic. And there are times that people who love me and I love them very much have told me that I need to be less idealistic. And I don't listen to that because I tell them, so I should be realistic because what has ever been done in the world with realistic expectations? Do you know what I mean? Now, you should be somewhat realistic and don't fly off the handle. See, but what you're saying right there shows you that saying that, okay, the fact that you have to justify saying that realism hasn't done anything means that there's a certain shame attached to not being realistic. Correct. We are shamed as human beings by by people who are like, well, these are just like crazy dreamers, and uh, they don't have their you know their feet on the solid ground. And uh, I'm I just happen to be a realist, so I care about money. Like this is a weird martyr complex that comes with being a realist. People who are realists feel insecure about being realists. 
They are so, very insecure. So they try to make you feel insecure about being a little bit more of an idealist or a dreamer because it makes them feel comfortable that everyone feels as scared as they are. But that being said, I'm not against realists. Me having to say that shows you how much shame there is about being not a realist. You right, know what I mean? because like, you, you are feel not... Like you have to apologize sure. for not being on the side of the realist. And is that because you're not putting on a pair of slacks and a button down and... I was raised by, I was raised by two realists. Like sure. the most realist people I've ever met in my entire life from my adopted parents. And if anything, that made you much less so, I'm assuming, because your natural tendency was to not be that. And being around it all the time didn't foster more of that and you had fostered less of it. It did. On one hand, people might look at it and say, that's because you're spoiled, because they were realists, you get to be a dreamer. But it's not true, actually, because them being the way they were showed me limits that I wanted to jump over. If everyone's always just, well, you know, it's all about the cold, hard facts. And life is, you know, eat, sleep, go to work, eat, sleep, go to work, eat, sleep, go to work, watch some shows. Right. Give me a gun. I'm going to kill myself yeah, that, right that's now. Too if you've much, told me yeah. my whole path already, what's the point? Why am I living it? You're not alive if you already know the answer. Right, exactly. You know? yes. People get so mad when you spoil the end of a movie or you spoil the end of a book. <laughs> but they want their, their life as a book they read the end already. Why would they be okay with that? Because the end is comforting. You know yeah. it's there. Like, who's going to go read the last page of the book? Read the whole book. Discover the whole thing the whole way. Right. You know? Realists read the, read the end before they read the beginning. And then they get mad at you because you're okay with not knowing until you get there. Okay. Okay. And that's that's where we are with that. Sure. So you having to apologize for saying, you know, it's okay. I, you know what? I understand realists. Shows you where we are, how deeply we embedded we are as a culture that prizes the security of knowledge of where your life's going to be when you're eighty, when you're twenty. And it's it's too much. Artists can't do that. We're not all the same. No. We're not all the well, same. Well, I think the thing is no. that deep down, everybody is an artist. Yeah. Yes. Because we're all unique individuals, and art is not a thing. Sure. Art is just. Life. That is an interesting Creation. point. Creation is life. We are created. Your reality. Right. Whether or not the... Okay, we'll, we'll talk scientifically. We are created in an act of some sort of passion. <laughs> our existence. That our existence starts with creation. Yeah. Two people create us. Possibly through passion, hopefully. And then we're born into Not it. always. But not always. But, <laughs> but but the point being yeah. that the most base thing in life, the gift of life itself, is an act of creation, me, and therefore yeah. more creative. Let me say yes. this to all the realists out there. You wouldn't exist if your parents were realists. They would be like, we can't afford this. And you would not be here. Right. So there's a little bit of dreaming and a little bit of, let's just go for it. Let's have kids. There's a little bit of that part of you that just says, <laughs> do it, works. even though it's completely not the most practical thing. Right. People would just wait until they were they had all the money and everything was saved up and they had tenure and whatever before they had kids. So you wouldn't be here. Right. If your parents weren't actually, you know, idealists in some fashion. It's like uh, remember so. the five year old kid asking Neil deGrasse Tyson, What's the meaning of life? And uh, one of the things that he said is go home, take out all the Hands and pots and make sound with it, play with everything. If your parents ask you not to do that, you tell them. If you want quietness, if you want me to be quiet, you wouldn't have me in the first place. <laughs> tell them Neil deGrasse Tyson told you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yes, he said that. Um, um, but yeah, you wouldn't be here if your parents were realists. That's okay. Just true. And you guys are here. Yeah. Calling together a living. Olive, you said you do voice acting work. You're willing to do freelancing. What about you, John? 
For money? Yeah. How are you making rent every month? Oh, let's see. Acting work, uh, helping people mix uh, and produce their music, and oh, and licensing on some songs that we've licensed, get royalties. Sure. Um, let me think about it. The money's there. Here's the thing. If you're an artist, you're not going to have all the comforts of a non-artist life unless you're a spoiled artist. Okay. You know, unless someone's famous, like right. Meryl, Meryl Streep's son can be in a band. Sure. But if it's yourself and you're taking care of yourself, you might go without a few things, but you're pursuing what you want and you're happy, so that's okay. Maybe you don't have the coffee table shaped like the yin-yang, like in Fight Club, but you're also not miserable like Ed Norton and, you know, you don't have to go to Those kinds survivor of groups in order to feel emotion. Right. You know what I mean? Like, if your life is, is one where you're living in living in the now and you're happy with the choices you're making overall, then the pursuit itself is also part of the thing that it's you It's the love. adventure. Like all yeah. I'm saying, it's the adventure itself. We make, it's easy to make rent every month if you just put, if you put the time in and, and get a job. That's another thing. I was going to bring this up before. I'm glad you brought this up again. This is a very super capitalist society to the point where you're defined by your job and when you meet new people, new people, they say, what do you do? As if that's, it's so important that what you do define you. And that's not necessarily the case in other countries. So the status that can shame you into not taking a small job because you're afraid your friend's going to walk in and you're going to give him a, a Starbucks coffee and that makes him better than you. All those things are built into the way this society is. And it makes it harder for you to earn money as an artist because you're afraid to take what you would consider a menial job. Oh, you're with. saying you're afraid of judgment. Yes. It's a judgment because we're, we're so status-oriented. To the positive or the negative, it's it's important that, like I like I myself even, am I gonna go to my grammar school reunion? Not until I have something to show for it. So I'm not a douchebag who shows up there who has nothing. I'm just chasing my dreams because they're all a bunch of conservative realists. They're all super realists and they can talk about it. Yeah, we're been doing the same thing my whole life. And it comes. It's like the normal, regular thing to do. They all have three or four kids. I don't. Why do I feel shit? Why can't I just show up there and just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm a musician. I'm, ch I'm doing music. I do, I'm, I make music at home. I act also. You probably saw me on Law and Order SVU, whatever. It's almost like I, I feel this need to build myself up in front of people I went to school with to make sure they don't think, oh, that guy's a fucking loser. Because it's a societal connotation. Yes. You don't have to. I, we, were just in the, we were just in London for two weeks. People who are cops there are just like, oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, you know, maybe the parking is not so great. Starbucks, same thing. Oh, it's good to see you. They're not like, hey, here you go, boss. Like, I have to make myself over you. So I'll call you boss because I feel like you think that you're my boss because you don't work here with me. I have a pet peeve about people in America saying, hey, what's up, chief, and what's up, boss? Uh, that's partially a New York thing, too, though. That's <laughs> You like, haven't seen it anywhere else. I have seen much less of it. Well, here, this, here, status and how you work and stuff is so important to who you are. That if someone has a job that might be considered like a lesser job, like maybe selling newspapers at one of those square newspaper modules in the city, or they're going to be like, hey, what's up? You want? thank you, that's $2, chief. And it makes me mad because they're condescending to me, but I know where it's coming from. They feel like I think I'm better than him. So they're calling me boss, going, yeah, you think I'm your boss, but I'm saying it, so it's not true. There's so much complicated shame and shit surrounded work here. That it makes it so that artists have a hard time living because they won't just take a job that they think is below them. They won't bust a table for fear of running into a slightly more successful musician or artist friend of theirs. You have to get over it because we all have to pay rent and if you want to continue being an artist, you have to just 
that ha- that can't be what defines you. You know, you can't be defined by your job here if you're going to be honest. What I think we'll be defined by, and I think maybe all of you would agree with this. Yeah. We will be defined by how well we react to our own vulnerability in life. Yeah. If we're people who are able to sit in our vulnerability and have it not stop us, like you're saying, get over it, that is where our dreams are. It's our instincts. Our instincts tell us to go after things. If we're too afraid of judgment or shame or whatever bullshit society has decided to throw at us, who are we? We're not really alive, kind of like you're saying. Yeah, so I'm giving up a couple of societal desires, but through that, I'm really me, and I can make rent. Some of those societal desires are just like wrapping paper you're putting over a really shitty present. It's just stuff to like make you feel... Like everything's wrapped up in a nice bow and the choices I made, the things I gave up to do this thing every day. See, it was worth it. This is a nice table. You know, like it's, it's there to make you feel good about certain things. And then some, you know, and then I don't want to judge people because I feel like some people aren't. You said everyone's, everyone's a potential artist. I guess maybe that's true. Ah, it's so complicated. I like some terrible art. And I like horrible maybe songs. Maybe everyone's a potential creator. Instead yeah. of artists, like maybe we need to even change the definition of mm-hmm. what an artist is, because we're sitting yeah. here right now. You're a musician. You're an, you're a musician also, but you're also an illustrator. Can do it. Yeah, I'm can a graphic do it. designer. I produce this audio stuff. I can do video. Mm-hmm. So art is such a broad term that maybe we need to change this definition in the first place. It's the pursuit. Yeah, art's almost like the pursuit of beauty for beauty's sake. Yeah, not beauty like physical beauty of the right. human. Like just pursuit of. I also consider it maybe like science meets creativity equals art. It's because it's the action of doing something. Yeah, plus pathos. Right, yeah, it's so convoluted. Yeah, all the things that make the art interesting. Right. Like your own, like your art out there in the hall that we looked at. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It's Thank you, but this is about It's a snowflake. (laughs) No one was going to do it exactly like that. Yes, nobody's... And they could sit there and look at it and go, oh, I kind of get it, but you did it in the moment. It's something that exists in the moment. So it's you. That's you on the canvas. What you just said, yeah. it's a snowflake. Yeah. I think it's really important for people to realize... Now, I'm, I'm producing these interviews partly because I want to help bring people closer together, and I yeah. also want people to have actionable advice. You're talking about your mindset, the two of you, and how you make decisions and why you make them. And then you're talking about the practicality of making rent every month, because that's an actual thing. We have to live somewhere, no matter what our dreams are. But you just said, it's like a snowflake. Our lives are like a snowflake. A snowflake is another thing that is consistent in nature and nurture in this entire world. Nothing is exactly the same. Sure, everything is related in some way. So people who are listening to this, they need to realize that they're individuals and they can call together their life any way they want. And so what you're saying is you're trying to tell people, here's how I'm doing it because this is how it works for me. You too have that power to go do that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't always talk about I'm an artist. I think everyone is an artist. And a lot of labeling are not totally correct. And I think that we have to find our center first and listening to our own brain is so important not what just your parents say not that everything they say won't be applied to you but just listen to yourself first Mm -hmm. and know how to filter things out 
Sure. Because nobody nobody taught me how to filter. So I listened to everyone and I would get like sad about one comment. Say, for example, when I was, uh, I think, 13, I went to, I, I was so shy at the time. So I wanted to um, join a poetry reading competition. I remember in class, these two girls were like, really good and they had been doing it for years they won some awards so i was the third person to sign up and nobody was like expecting me to because i was kind of the insecure shy one sitting at the back i was kind of tall and i remember reciting the whole poem in front of my class and a classmate raised her hand and she said to the teacher i don't like her voice i don't like how she sounds and I probably thought about that for a really long time, feeling really stupid. And like stuff like that that happened to you when you're younger. Right. Has a big effect later. And it I does. think knowing how to filter, especially living in New York City, you know, once you get out of the door, anyone will throw you a comment on the street, commenting on what you're wearing, you know, how you look. This is oh. the female experience. <laughs> right, yeah, it's a female experience. I, I, we we married a little yeah. luck. Don't well, have I, that much happening to me. I no. Heard Looking my... good. <laughs> hey, Chico. What are you doing? Well, I hurt my knee. I hurt my knee in London, so I was limping even when I was. Now you're just a walking conversation <laughs> star. Oh no, I, and I, didn't, I didn't believe it. We were, we were walking together, and I walk fast. But I'll have to walk a little slow. And I do my best to stay, but sometimes I find myself drifting away. As soon as I was like three feet away, I walked up and was like, hey, you know, you're just like, oh, how is your leg going? You almost fell down there. Like, oh my God. I was like, are you kidding? And then as soon as I backed up, he was like, oh, have a good day. Have a good day. Like, I was like, oh my God, this, this happened when I'm not here. It didn't happen not in, stop. in London. Like, they, they kept things to themselves more. Yeah, maybe. In New York, people yeah. want, they're so curious. Everyone is like a kid. They look at you, they're like, what happened? Like, you know them, like, someone came by and said, let me kiss it. I'm like, oh, I was just like limping faster. <laughs> and, and then, well, but, but I'm, I'm not one of those people that would, would think that catcalling is like a really bad thing. You just focus on what you have to do. Mm -hmm. We live in a city, it happens. Sure. And yeah, so listen to yourself when it's quiet, when you're alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like you hard. said, vulnerability. Yeah, you're most it, vulnerable when you're mm, alone. And yeah, people. I'm most vulnerable at 3 a.m. <laughs> I'm still awake. The thoughts, not good. No, they're never good. Not good. There's no reason to be awake at that time. Three, not good. One to four a.m. I've broken up the band like at 3 a.m. like a million times. Even you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 3 a.m. is just like it is a waste of time. And then like you wake up, you're like, oh, I can't wait to play. Well, things like, are always clearer crazy. in the morning. That's for yeah. sure. Oh. But that brings me to a good question for mm. you, John. Yeah. Um, your last band before Late Cambrian was Flying Machines, correct? Yes. And yes, they, it was. and so when Flying Machines broke up, how long was it before you were ready to start a new project? The next week. Okay. Because it didn't break up so much as like just kind of slowly Fizzled. disintegrate. There was no like big meeting or big throwdown. And sometimes relationships with people, they happen that way. They actually break up along before oh, yeah. it actually ends. It was weirdly like, being in that band was like, it was good when it was good, and then when it was bad, it was like hurting cats. Like just getting a bunch of people who don't listen to do the same thing. Right. Or to understand the focus. Sure. You know? 
And that's uh, when and you then, know it's time to go. And then also like herding cats, when you just to give up, they just kind of like wander away. Right. And they want so they wandered away from each other. It was less like a breakup and more like all of a sudden the the calls had like seven days between them instead of fourteen. Sure. Instead of like you know two days and then. But that also, we just weren't talking to each other. That also tells me that it was a natural thing. It was time. It organic. It was time long before that, but it was organic. You're right. It organically kind of shut itself down on its own. And the whole time we were in the band, I was the guitar player. And I think in that band we had we had like say probably written twenty songs, and I think I, I was credited with three or four. Okay. Maybe four out of twenty. So and that wasn't and enough the other, for you. And the other songwriter was great. Okay. He was great, and I was great. I loved playing guitar, and not that it wasn't enough for me, but nothing I brought in was was going to be part of that band. So you were George so, Harrisoned. Yeah, in a way. So when it, so when it was over, I was already like, let's make a. I want to put a solo record together, and that's how that's how I met Olive. Like we we met on the set of Nurse Jackie playing Patience. Okay, uh, I didn't know that. That's and awesome. Then, and then she came to the studio while I was recording my solo record, which was just me and a drummer. So, like, we, we recorded, in two days, we recorded ten songs, um, all the guitar and all the, and all the uh, drums. And then I started putting the bass and the keyboards on, and then during that time, uh, uh, Olive and I met, and Olive came by, and uh, she was a really good singer. So she, she ended up singing on four of the songs on the first album, which eventually got the name Lake Cambrian, but started as just, like, John Lachewski's solo. Sure. And I played bass on it as well. We didn't have a bass player until after the first album. Right. So... So to answer you, to bring it around to your question, like a week after, okay. week, a week after Flying Machines broke up, I was already like thinking of booking time in the studio to, to do all these songs I had built up. Because they were building up inside of you for so long that you had to let them I, out. I knew they were good songs, but they weren't, they weren't good for that band. Right. Well, that's they, another they, good they, way to put it. Sure. Player, you know, a bass, a bass player in a, in a ska band might have a whole library of classical music, but you're never going to bring that in. So right. when you have yeah, time, yeah, you like, finally put this thing together, that's you. And that's another good George Harrison reference. When you oh, think yeah. about all things was passed. His first album out of the Beatles was a triple album. Oh, it three, it's a triple was, album. All Things Must Pass is a triple album. Even mm-hmm. the name, All Things Must Pass. Yeah. It's basically... And people forget that when the Beatles broke up, George Harrison was 26 years old. Uh-huh. Like, he had lived that much <clears throat> they by gave the time him, he was 26. They gave him one song. One album. song, an album. Until... Towards the end. Till something. When until it was the first around, around Revolver. Yeah. Actually, so Revolver, he has two. On Sasha Peppers, he has two. From Revolver, yeah, from Revolver on, he had one sitar song and one, like, pop Regular song. song. Yeah, 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 exactly. And he um, basically forced his way into that at that point. And... They all remain friends years later yeah. anyway, but I remember I was reading something where Lennon was like, of course he's a fucking great songwriter. He was backup to the two best songwriters of his generation, which, okay. Well, but he wrote, <laughs> whatever, song, John he wrote something, and here comes the sun on Abbey Road. He pretty much wrote, yeah, the, he wrote, best, he wrote the best pop songs on that album. Exactly. Um, you know, the more sensitive songs. Sure. And a lot of people wouldn't say that. Everyone like thinks that the second side from Golden Slumbers to the end is the oh, best Oh, because part. it's just a medley? Because it's a medley. But meanwhile... But, but I'm saying for pure songwriting... Something and here comes the song with two perfect songs. Sure. Um, and then when he left the band, he put out a triple album right away. Yeah. And, and I think it was the highest selling solo record from the Beatles. That sure. personally for me is when I just count solo albums that the Beatles did. That's probably my favorite of all of the solo albums that anyone did. Of all of them, yeah. I mean, I love Band on the Run, Paul McCartney's Band on the Run. I love 
some of the John Lennon stuff. I think Double Fantasy, when you remove any Yoko Ono track from it, is an amazing album. <laughs> single <laughs> Fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Single, single Fantasy. <laughs> Morbid jokes aside, um, I'm curious why Late Cambrian, where does the name come from? What does this mean to you? What, what's the connotation? <clears throat> the Late Cambrian time period was 390 million years ago. Okay. And at that time, that's when life's really started. There's something called the Cambrian Explosion. And in the late Cambrian time period, we went from 90% uh, of the earth covered in ocean and a little bit of land and maybe a few trees to like all these crazy animals showing up in the water, trilobites. And you've seen, you've seen pictures of them, you know? Mm -hmm. um, the horseshoe crab is kind of a, a leftover from that time period. Right. Um, so I guess the name was about organic creation, about going from nothing to something really fast. And I felt like we were, at the time I was doing that, things were going really fast when we started. The name fit. And I, I ran a few names past Olive back then. She hated all of them except for that one. So it ended up sticking. Um, but it does ha it has to do with organic creation. Because no one could have predicted, there was no record executive back there going, we're going to put out trilobites and we're going to put out these little things. They're gonna, people are going to love them. It was just whatever came out. Stuff was like ugly and scary and like, you know, fed on sulfur and like could kill. Yeah. But it was real and it just happened. It's a little intellectual. No, but I think it also gives yourself the freedom to explore. I guess that's true. It doesn't it doesn't suggest the type of thing. Per right. se. Right. Yeah. Did you have a goal when recording this first series of songs as a solo project? Other than getting them out of you and getting them onto a record. And then you serendipitously met your now musical partner slash girlfriend slash roommate mm -hmm. at the same time. Did um, I have a goal? Yeah, did you have together? a goal in mind? Was there some sort of philosophical goal, some sort of commercial goal? Why did you do it? Uh, was it just to get it out? I'm gonna I'm gonna say that hmm, this is fucked up. But the first album. I'm still balancing what I said before between imitation and inspiration. Mm -hmm. And that album was directly inspired by Weezer's second album, Pinkerton. Like, okay. I really loved the fact, when I read about, by the conception of it, none of the songs sound like any of the songs on there, but when I read about it online, it's not recorded to a click. There's a lot of feedback on the guitars. Every time they stop playing on that album, you hear the guitars start to feedback. Uh, all the all the all the background vocals and lead vocals were recorded at the same time live in a room. So the thing, and the bass goes through a distorted guitar amp. So I just I loved the the idea that this band that had an album with Buddy Holly and Say It Ain't So, My Name Is Jonas, all these amazing simple pop songs, followed that up with a really really grody, dirty sounding album where they weren't even playing to a metronome. <laughs> I thought that was pretty amazing and and brave. And the, and the album tanked, and now 20 years later is considered their finest achievement. Sure. And he won't even play it because he's so mad at everyone for, for like, he's mad at all the fans for pretty much, you know, bailing on him when he put it out. I mean, it really tanked. The first album sold 2 million copies, and Pinkerton sold 75,000 when it first came out. That's, like, not... <laughs> that gets like, you dropped from you the You can label. sell that out of your trunk. Yeah, it, you know, so no one, it was bad. Plus... It's kind of not his fan's fault because there was a there was like an investment or a lawyer agency called Pinkerton Agency that sued them. Yeah, Pinkertons. So, yeah, so they weren't allowed to Private advertise the album or do any release promos or anything. 
so it just kind of dropped on the public with no singles. So it's kind of not the public's fault either. But but I listen to that album all the time, and I know it would it would not fly on radio. It's really it's really horrible sounding in a, in only the best way, like the way In Utero from Nirvana might have been considered mm-hmm. the most horrible sounding thing to come out of a pop band. Sure. You know. Yeah. Um, so I was inspired by that when this first came out. I was like, I want to do something where I'm not following any of the rules of of commercial radio. But I was really inspired. What oh, is I guess it? that's hard then. So I don't know if I'm imitating or inspiring. I'm imitating the conception. I was imitating the way they did it, like the, the philosophy behind it. Right, I get that. Yeah, okay. I, don't, I think that that's like using imitation and inspiration all at the same time. I wouldn't yeah. say that you were imitating I would say that you were inspired by the realness behind which they produced yeah. that music. By the legend of the record. Sure, yeah. Uh, it absolutely. wasn't accepted and then just kind of like slowly became mm-hmm. this thing. Sometimes things don't explode out of the game. Ex- I, they build and up that's what the label needed a single is kind of about too. Not about that, but about their Red Album, which is, you know, it's just called the Red Album. Yeah. And it has the single Pork and Beans on it, but nothing else on there is a single. Their label went to them and said, "We won't release this unless you write a single." So he wrote "Pork Beat and Which is when he was taking a shit. He like he didn't even care about that song. It's a two and a half minute pop song. I like that song, but but they were like, "This album doesn't have a single." It was the same conversation. Only they went and did it. Whereas we and isn't it like, funny that yeah. people who aren't musicians are the ones telling you whether or not something is a single or not? <laughs> They're not musicians. They're not even failed musicians. They're no. actually corporate. Yeah, they're just marketers. Yeah. They don't do it. No. So they have. So how the fuck? They don't know what it feels like to do it. Right. Or to be told none of this is going to work for us. Right. And now sometimes people are good at what they do without ever actually playing an instrument or. Oh no! I mean, some of them are. I mean, they're really smart. Or all the labels would tank, and everyone would be. That would be that. There'd be no music. (laughs) Right. But but in certain situations like that, it kind of looks really bad. It's like. Sure, because those are the things that we remember also at the times that the labels screwed up royally. I mean. Wilco got dropped when they wanted to, when they handed in Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, which is now considered one of the pioneering alt country albums of all time. Okay. Um, but but they got dropped, and then their fans were begging them to release it online, and then another small label picked them up, and now it's it's what catapulted them to like a small indie alt country band. To like everyone says the word Wilco, and people know if you're in music, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. Like, someone who truly followed the run. Their own cat, and it is a fucked up sounding album, and I love it for that. It's really crazy. Um, Talking about <clears throat> following your own path, yeah, which we've spoken so far a lot about right now, mm-hmm. and that's good advice for anybody. Anyway, follow your own path. Follow what's true to you. Talk to me about the collaborative process of going into a studio, or just for years it was you guys and Nunzio together, three piece set, writing music, producing music. What is that like? What is it like when you know that the collaboration is good? What are, what are differences between a three-piece set and a four-piece set that people might not realize? What, what are some of these things that you have gone through that have really shaped how, how you produce music today? Well, John earlier mentioned that I hated the, the other band names that, that he had. Well, not hated. It's just that having a band name is kind of like having a tattoo. You're going to get all your Twitter handle, your Facebook, everything based on it. And you better pick something you like. And I think it's very important for band members to communicate. Communication okay. really is the key because no one reads your mind. 
and um, that's in life in general. <laughs> yeah, speak up. But having someone who makes decision, the final decision, I think is important. Um, in the beginning, we actually had four members. Okay. We have, uh, you know, we have guitar, keyboard, bass, and drums, and if we vote every time. Then it's like two versus two, and we would never get places. So I think John is a good leader, and he makes uh, quick and conscious decisions. So, so at the end, I think one person has to have a vision, and everyone supports and also speak up in terms of collaboration. Right, and then as the guy with the vision, if you're getting outvoted, <laughs> then maybe it makes you step back and say, okay, maybe I need to take this in a different direction. I've been outvoted. <laughs> it happens, but also there does need to be someone who, at the final end of the day, says, mm. "You guys might not agree with me, but we got to go this way." And you go, "Okay, fine, we'll go this way because you say so." Otherwise, you're just running around in circles. You were a team, so it's complicated. I mean, Brendan in Weedus, he's he can never be outvoted. If every single person in the band wants him to do something, if he doesn't want to do it, he just vetoes it. That's a different situation. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, hmm. Can it alienate you from your friends in your band? It's, it's, oh, man, it's a different situation though because his band members all get paid to be in the band. Yeah. So it's all. So he still has. I mean, if I was paying everyone, then I don't know everything. I've learned everything I've learned from being in a band, from being on a team, and from learning how to communicate in that team. I've been in bands before, Flying Machines and the Attorneys and whatever else I was in, where we broke up in the studio. I've been in bands where, where everyone was talking about everyone behind everyone's back. I would leave with one member and go, that fucking sucks. And then this, he would go and talk to that and go, John sucks. And then, like, that just happens when you put a bunch of people who are mildly passive-aggressive but also egomaniacs in the same room. They only care about their own feelings, but they're not strong enough to just say it straight out because they don't want to be the one who took too much control. So I think I was right. It's, it's good to have a like like a focus point, you know, like like a painting, two point perspective. It has a horizon. Right. If you don't want it to be kind of weird looking, have like different horizons, unless that's what you want to do. But you have to. But either one of those is a conscious place. decision, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Although I think with a painting. It's one person still making that decision. So, but I get what you're saying that you you can't produce imagine a painting with more than one person painting right. it. And like, I want to put the horizon yeah, there. Painting by committee, there. yeah. The painting by committee would almost be impossible. It would be unless the whole point of it was with, for it to look surrealist and not put together. Right. Because you could never do that with one person. Right. Oh. It's like um, in the movie um, Inside Out, where you have different emotions in the brain controlling like. Joy, sadness, anger. I see the whole band as a unit. You see me as anger, though. That's the thing. Yeah, it definitely. <laughs> is <a temper>. okay. <laughs> well, in inside the brain, so so we are all a part of this big thing, and it will be okay at the end. Just remember that. Yeah, working with someone you're also in a relationship with is super hard. Remember that time you told me not to go to. Um, we were, we were actually on our way to a festival we have to play, and we fought on the way. But as a person, if I'm thinking oh, yeah. about Olive, I'll be like, fuck you, I'm going home, I'm not playing. On the platform, I was like, you're not playing the show. Yeah, he said, uh, oh, when God. you said, you can go, we don't need you that at the, the festival. So I'm thinking, oh, is it someone who's... That's who terrible. <laughs> Sorry I said that. 
<laughs> is it someone who is in a relationship with me telling me to, uh, you know, go home, or is it my band leader dismissing me? Okay, that's a really interesting point that you bring up. You're talking about being a couple. You're in a band together. You live together. You have arguments in the studio. You might have arguments at home on the street. These are normal things, like you just said. Mm -hmm. Is he dismissing me from the band, from this show? How do you stay, how do you know when it's right? And how do you know when you've got to regroup later? And this goes for the dynamic that you guys have as a couple in a band, but then sure. there are members of the band that aren't in a love triangle with you guys, but you're in a collaborative triangle how with them. How do you know? No, I'm kidding, no, we're not in a love triangle. How do you know when it's right? Collaboratively, how do you know when things need to take a step back and you need to regroup later? Is it just a gut instincts, feelings? Well, one thing at a time, one day at a time. So, obviously, what's important is that Lake Cambrian goes to Dewey Beach to have to play the music festival. Okay. I should know that, and I shouldn't let my ego take over. So now, do you say that? Not to interrupt you, but. Uh -huh. Because if you're in a band, you have to go perform for people. It's the only way you get feedback and get better immediately, and that's why you're in the band. Is that why you say that? Uh, we, it's a commitment. Okay. So uh, most of the time when you're angry, when you're depressed, think about this. It's not about you. Not everything's about you. So there's a whole festival. People paid, and they, uh, they're coming to see you. You know, some fans will travel just to see the band. So you can't let this, these little things that are irrelevant stop you from being there. And it's about... Like us fighting you. Yeah, like accountability. It's about commitment. So I would know that I shouldn't <laughs> take his words seriously. I know it's just one of those things. Sometimes, you know, couples or bandmates, we have differences and it's not necessarily a bad thing. But at, in the moment when you're angry, you don't see anything. Think about, like, take a step back and see the whole big picture. Mm -hmm. And then make a decision of what you should be doing at the moment. I have no idea what we argued about. I've totally forgotten. Sometimes we were just don't know. anxious about, you know, because it's important for us. That's why we get a little... I think an argument is people's own insecurities bubbling out. <laughs> for a while, and then they come back. It's and true because even, even a disagreement, if you disagree on something, it doesn't need to be an argument. Right. It's just like I believe this, you believe that. But you're right. An argument means that other stuff got involved. Mm -hmm. Self-esteem, the need to be heard, stuff that was a month ago that wasn't resolved, whatever. And then and then this thing happens, and it's it's a bunch of things. The stress of going to the show. Right. It yeah. all bubbles out. Yeah, I played a festival, and I remember <laughs> after that, I was like, okay, now the music is done. I don't want to see you anymore. And then, like, I just say bye to him, and I just, like, left. Sometimes we also need time to be by yourself. Yeah, you need space. It's a lot of time to be spending with one person that you need to, you're still individuals who are individuals on your own. You need to yeah. take those breaks. It's so hard because I read about bands like Radiohead, other big bands that have been bands forever and have been on the road for like years at a time. And you know, when you when they record an album, they rent like a villa and all live together for like three months. But they have families and they have their own life when they're not doing that. And then once they're done recording the album, mixing it, then they're in a bus together for another year. 
But then when the, when the tour's over, the band, all the members of the band, they all live in different states. Some of them live in the different countries, and they just go home with their life. So they're not touring, and they're not writing, and the album's just selling. And then there's just like six months where they're just not doing music together and stuff. And then when it's time to start again, they all have to come together again. They're like, oh, hey, guys, what's up? Um, I haven't had that experience yet where, where an entire band moved into a house together to write an album and be musicians like constantly nonstop for like weeks at a time. And I feel like we've gotten so much done and so many songs written without that, that it could be even better if we did that. That's one of the things I want to do. The closest thing is when like, on tour. Yeah, maybe on tour, but I've never lived with musicians where you wake up every morning, the drummer immediately gets behind the drums and you just run through riffs with them all day trying to get the right drums and right right parts. Yeah, the way the band writes is I write stuff. Okay. And when we had a drummer, our first drummer that's on Peach and the last concert, I would bring riffs in and, and I would try them out with him and get the drums, get the parts down, switch to the ride for the chorus, you're on the hi-hat to close it up for the verse. And, but now we're in a band where where the songs are like fully written and then I send them to our drummer and then we go with him and record. And it's kind of written right there in the studio as we're going, so there was no time to work it out. And it sounds good. I, I, Golden Time, is it sounds amazing because he's a super talented drummer, but I'd love to be able to just get in the studio and give give each song one week of just jamming the songs yeah, out and writing new that stuff. Yeah, getting that what I always wanted. Like, you know, like, it, it takes a band six months to write an album. It takes, yeah. it takes us however long it takes me by myself. Well, then describe for me... You mentioned going on tour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now doing this full time is a goal of yours, obviously, whether it be renting a house and having people basically live in a studio and, and collaborate and create an album together the, the right way from the ground up together. Mm -hmm. What is this process like going on tour, booking stuff, <laughs> playing live music? Describe to me the emotion of standing in front of small crowds, which it could be really difficult to play in front of a small audience or a very large audience. What are some of the differences? How does, I don't want to just say, how does that feel? Because I think that's such an easy cop-out question. You're, you come out on stage and you are in front of a group of people that are all looking at you. Mm -hmm. How do you not shit your pants? <laughs> <laughs> well, because we're prepared. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I would shit my pants if I went up there and we had no songs and right. the drummer didn't know where the changes were. Right. You know, you can, it's easier when you're prepared. And yeah. then on top of that, talking to the audience, that's kind of a talent unless you go to talking and public speaking classes or you've taken acting classes and then maybe you have a, a shtick you do on stage or a way about you. I've been on stage and been terrified and I've been on stage and felt really comfortable and Touring, we toured with Wheatus October to November of 2014, so that was 26 shows in 30 days. And you can bet that when we left that tour and we played our first shows here, after that it was the best shows we've ever played. Because you were tight, you played 26 shows Well, we were definitely tight. That, first of all, we were super tight, but the, the, the feeling on stage was so relaxed. But not relaxed, like boring. No, but you were like just, just doing it night in, night out. So it was yeah. just, it's just another I thing. I owned the stage without having played on it yet. Right. Because you did this so much, you know. Sure. I mean... So no matter what your passion is, yeah. if you want to monetize it and break free from this 9-to-5 world, repetition is key. 
to feeling comfortable enough with it to go take it somewhere and make something out of it. A lot of songs that how I really learned it, I learned it with live audience in front of me. Like sure. it's one thing when you wrote it and you practice, and on tour, I think maybe by the third, fourth show, I finally got an idea. This is how the song's supposed to be, and then you know by the twentieth show, we we traveled with was that sixteen people, yeah, on a double decker bus. So we sleep on a top level. It was yeah. in Europe, so there there there's a that was a double decker bus. Yeah, it was. 16 people in one bus. That's cool though, that's an experience. Yeah. It's amazing. So every day, 2 p.m., you load in, like 2 a.m., load out and grab everything and leave to this damn other city. So I remember really enjoying playing London, really enjoying the week in Ireland. Oh, Amsterdam is, is the people are amazing. And uh, most of the time in the UK, we, we learn a lot in each town or city. And to each person, you are you're one hundred percent. You cannot just count like, oh, there are only thirty people here. I'm not playing tonight. No, because to each person, they came out to see you. They came. They paid money. <laughs> they walked in the door and they're standing in front of the stage looking right. at you. Looking. Doesn't matter how yeah. many people came with them. They came to see you. They're and there. You connect with. Yeah. You don't so give them. If you don't give them the full show, then you don't. You you shouldn't be on stage. Do you enjoy playing um, smaller shows or larger shows? Larger. Why is that? I feed off that. The energy? When, when, it's, when it's a show where, where there's people packed up against the stage and they're all right in front of me, mm -hmm. that's supposed to terrify me. And in any other situation, it probably would. But if I was up there doing have... karaoke, I would be terrified because I'd have to be living up to the actual song. But that goes back but to the original thing. Yes. Yeah. It's who you are. Yeah. So you're not terrified because you're standing on stage just being who you're supposed to be. They're already expecting a show. They're not expecting an amateur. So right there in the moment when you're on stage, it's your choice to be exactly what they expect or less than that or more than that. Sure. You know? And we're, you know, and on the other hand, we're the opening band. So as long as we're the best version of us, we're going to exceed expectations because we're not, no one's like, the opening band's the best band. They're going to be so much better than the main act. So you already have a little bit going for you as the underdog. So if you go up there and wow them, that's it. They're just like, oh, I discovered this new band. And people love to discover new music. Absolutely. They it's do. easy to like the thing everyone likes. Yeah. It's, it, feels, it feels really good to be like, I saw this band that just blew my mind. They were like on second. They, just, they were incredible. Absolutely. It feels good. That's how I, just, so. I discovered your music the first time I listened to it. And I remember very clearly thinking to myself, these guys are fucking good. Like, they're a quote-unquote indie band. I'm listening to them on SoundCloud, and they're really polished. They sound good. They, they write their own music. So it goes back to show you that it's not about the amount of people who see it, although that's cool, but it's about whether or not it's genuine in the first place. And if it is genuine, that word will eventually spread because everybody wants to see something that's genuine and good all the time and comes from the heart. You can't be a diva as a rock and roll person. If you go to a musical theater show or a Broadway show and it's not packed, are they going to give like a less performance? They're not going to look out and go, oh, there's not that many people here. I'm not going to be as good a giraffe in The Lion King today. You do the same. They do the same. They're going to do it the best they can every night and not even think about it. They don't get applause till the end of the show. They have to work off an hour and a half and hope it didn't suck all the way through. That's we get point. the benefit of applause every three and a half minutes. So what you just said about so, your parents in particular. Mm -hmm wanting to read the last page of the novel mm -hmm. before reading every other page of it. 
you can't cheer a band <clears throat> until they play the song. Yeah. So your whole life is about the journey in and of itself because you can't come on stage and go, hi, we're late Cambrian. Thanks. And expect people to cheer you. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you've got to play then. You've got to take that journey. And you've got to take people yeah. with you on that journey. In Scotland, that happened. Because, <laughs> because they're ready to party the second they leave the house. So you'll be like, we're late Cambrian. They'll be like, ah! That's a different situation. Sure. You guys were crazy stuff. <laughs> but, but yeah, why, why would they cheer you until you've given them the show? You know, right, you exactly. You have work to do. And I think the other thing about somebody who's on stage performing... That's such a thing that makes you vulnerable right off, off the bat that how many people do you meet that perform on stage and they're like, I don't really like it that much. I'm just doing this because it's a job. It's like, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't put yourself in that position unless you really wanted to. Yeah, don't do you that. You would shy away. Don't do it. Then. No. Don't. I feel like in Brooklyn, there's this um, attitude of not being too friendly, kind of being... Um, Pretentious? <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know what pretentious mean now because people, we all have different. People look around to make sure it's cool to like you before they like you. Yeah. Like, oh, I like this. Let me go to Pitchfork first. <laughs> to see how many stars. 8.4, best new music. Oh, I really like it. But I'm also talking about musicians yeah. on stage. You have to reach out. Just like well, you do have to about. read your audience, though. Yeah, you can't yeah. expect like people. If you were standing by the merch area, you don't expect someone to be like, "Tell me about this album. Like, what's your favorite song? How did you make it?" Like, they expect <coughs> to see, "Oh, what's cool is going on," and you have to just reach out and say hi and just be like, you know, like they're your friend. Just talk. We and, really and want the merch group on tour. <laughs> like, don't be so awkward yourself. You have just, to. Treat it's also no, money it was, in your pocket and exposure. After every show, the second we we we, had, we actually had a we had a deal amongst ourselves in the band mm -hmm. that when the show was over, when our when our set was over, one person would go right to the merch booth for signing stuff and waving to people because they'd recognize us from the stage. Sure. And then whoever didn't go would pack up their stuff. That's you fair. You always have to have one person there. Yeah. You know, we didn't have our own traveling merch person. First of all, right. We only had like a donation box when we were on stage. But I think but the other like thing, having one of us there. Is like, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then they find out that you're cool and down to earth, and you're a, a human. Yeah. You're alive, and you're really on this earth. You care about the people that you're playing for. Yeah. You don't and just go back to the dressing room and go, "Fucking well, douchebags in the audience today, right? Right? Am I right?" And then like that's it. Let someone else sell your stuff. You're like too above it. But I feel you know? that I every love every night when we're in Europe, that these people we only we might only get to see them once in our lives. Like, exactly. why not connect? Like, yes. why won't you smile this, at this stranger? If, and if you, if you, you don't this? feel that way, why are you doing it in the first place? Yeah, it's true. If we're all in one room, there's something, we have something in common. We love music. And uh, I, I'm so glad to meet every one of them. They, they're so lovable. And they appreciate the music. And we appreciate that they came there. It almost becomes, um, like, so natural that music is not even a thing. It becomes human connection. Mm -hmm. And you you value that, you cherish that. And okay, it's the same thing when we go out to watch shows in Brooklyn or in Manhattan, you have to have the same kind of appreciation. It's the same thing when you meet someone on a train, you really might not see them for the rest of your life. So even if they are annoying or, or it's, anything. It's complicated in, in New York because we're so packed together so tightly. 
lot of times, like your personal space is invaded so much. Yes, it's hard to feel like oh, I'm just gonna go talk to someone on the train. You know, it is true. That's that's true. I think what I'm trying to do more and more yeah. is remember that if you're on a train and your personal space is being invaded. One, that person isn't really choosing to do that. They don't have much of a choice at that moment. You're also mm -hmm. invading their personal space at the same time. But also, two, the person invading your personal space is a person. They're a person with real things going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. You're seeing this angle of it. And it's totally from your perspective. Yeah. And it, it has to do with everything. That's, if you're in a great mood that day and you're on the train, that person could be rubbing their ass against you and you don't even care. You're great. right. If you're in an angry, insecure <laughs> mood, you're like, there's so much fucking room over here. Can't you move to the other side of the car? You know, like... Like in the morning going to work, you yeah. see those conversations of people fighting. Right. Or how about if you're yeah. going to work and someone is talking on the train. If I'm standing on the train in the morning and someone has the audacity to carry on a conversation while I'm going to work... It's like, excuse me, can't you tell we're trying to ease into our day right now? But it's that's all yeah. bullshit. It's so stupid. There, everybody's awake. We're awake. We're in the world. Enjoy it. So exactly. it's so it's eight thirty in the morning. Enjoy the fact that you're alive. You know. Exactly. It's a lot to ask from some people. It is. They don't enjoy the we fact that they're alive. Sometimes. Yeah. People have to remember why they're alive in the first place, and I think that's following your instincts, following your passions, being who you truly are, and then it it makes you. Any time that I personally, yeah have strung together a bunch of days in a row where I really feel like me, mm -hmm. I feel at, the, at that moment that there would never be any other reason to live other than completely honest and open all the time. And it's human. We all have insecure moments. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for people not to beat themselves up over it too much and just know that you're a person and these things are going to happen. And I think keep rolling with the punches. Be yes. balanced. We all in this together, like what you just said. Like we all felt really bad at at times, but we help each other out. Self awareness is key to anything in life. It's yeah, key. self awareness is very important. You think everyone has it, and then you realize they have it, but they put it on the horses' lines of society. That's what it is. Everybody has it, but when they choose to listen to it, when someone's driving and then they double park to do something when there's a spot, like maybe two spots ahead, but they would have had a walk 10 feet. That's not self-awareness. No, it's just you're selfish. You're inconveniencing every single person because this one thing is convenient for you. Right. And that goes back yeah. to the statement of just think about not everything's people. about you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just think about other people. Someone else needs to get through. Now there's traffic piling up behind you. Right. You could have just moved over like 10 feet, 10 feet. Well, I think it's important that we note that, and this is a common theme that comes up throughout these interviews, we're having, it's a one-on-one-on-one -on -one -on -one interview, but it's a small interview with three people. Sure. But what we keep saying, we're talking about our own experiences in life, but they keep coming back to the point that life is an ensemble cast. You couldn't go up and play in front of an audience if nobody showed up. Sure, you could play, but <clears throat> it wouldn't be the same. You couldn't go talk to those people mm -hmm. and have those human connections if they weren't. You know, yeah. they... It would also be weird if the entire audience was musicians. Like every single person was self-actualized. And they're just all artists going, oh, I like his art too. Like, like well, a lot of people want need, need music to make the life that they've chosen palatable. I've been to some really great tiny shows yeah. where it was, I saw a Spoon show yeah. in like 2010 before they put out Transference. And this was before everybody was on Twitter. And they tweeted 
from their account that day that they were going to play a show on the Lower East Side that night. So I showed up, and there was only like 60 people there. And it was like um, other bands, but they were there, and I noticed, I was like, oh, cool, that band's there. Or, oh, cool, so-and-so's there. And so it, it was felt like a like weird private show. Like, yeah, it was a private show. show. Yeah, except that no, I didn't that's really all. advertise it. Right, it was not advertised. It was just on social wow. media. Back before everybody was like on Twitter. I want to ask you something. Go ahead. You're wearing a Converse rubber track shirt. I am. What is the process is like for... <laughs> I like it. It fits me better. Yeah, it's it's but it's, I, I have been interested in Converse rubber tracks for a long time just as a thing. I think it's a really cool idea. Correct me if I'm wrong. Converse, the sneaker company, mm -hmm. owns a recording studio in Brooklyn. They sponsor it for they, sure. Right, yeah. and they're kind of a laissez-faire, silent partner... Converse and Guitar Center are the silent partners, actually. Yeah. Okay. So it's a, it's a it's called the Rubber Track Studio. Right. There's one in Brooklyn. They just opened one in Boston. Uh, I think there's one. In, there's one in L.A. too, uh, in Canada. But but Converse sponsors uh, bands to go in there and they get a full one full day of free recording. You have to sign up on the site, kind of post a picture, maybe post some music you already have, talk about your band, and if they choose you, if you somehow fit. Whether you know, they'll they'll schedule you like say three months later. They're like, well, how about like that's how our song "Walk of Shame" got recorded. Right. It's not um, on any album. Now it's I had submitted to Converse Rubber Tracks three times in a row, and the submission process is once every three months. So, so I spent nine months. Like I submitted to them in January, and then in March they said, "Sorry, not this time. Why don't you submit again?" They submitted in March, then it was June, and then like one more time. And then you they were in the summer. And then they were finally like, "Yeah, we can schedule you." And we ended up going in. You know, that was the first song of yours that I ever heard. Really? Yeah. Before I heard any of your it's albums. It's also our first song with a, with a different drummer. Because uh, right, right before we recorded that, the drummer on, on Peach and the last concert moved to Nashville. Okay. So that was Will Tully playing drums on that, who's the drummer for Weedus. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's the, that's the song that has the most listens on SoundCloud, too. I think that song has like picked up and done yeah. its own thing. It's Interesting. On, it's in a bunch of, it's on a site called 8-Track. That people put together their, their own little uh, mixtapes mm -hmm. and then share it amongst themselves. It's okay. got like a, it's got over twenty thousand listens without. I don't push the song at all. <clears throat> so they, um, Converse Rubber Tracks brings bands in and sponsors them for one free day of studio time. Do you think it's worth it? Like if you're an indie band in Brooklyn trying to make a name for yourself, do it. Oh, apply totally. Okay. You don't have to do just one song. Some bands go in there and just and play like an entire set live. They'll just mic up the whole thing and then get a live album out of it. You know, do, right. do whatever you think. Oh, because you have one day to do anything you want. Eight yeah, hours, well, yeah. You know, eight hours, go to it. So if you have a lot of uh, songs written, if you've been playing them live but don't have yeah. any kind of recording ability, that could be yeah. a way that you can put together. I mean, what album. if you're just a singer and songwriter who just just plays piano? There's no reason to go in and do one song. You could just. You could sing and play all day. Right. You just get in and you have a bunch of things that you can bring home later. If you have logic, you can add stuff, add the strings and get a drummer on it. You know, even just getting the song started, you don't have to complete it there. Sure. You know, we did about 80% of the song there. And then we brought it back and we had to add some keyboards, maybe add like another guitar. And I think harmony. And harmony vocals didn't get done. But lead vocals, drums, bass, guitar, like first two guitars and, and like really cool suitcase keyboards all got done there. And then we completed it at home. And it's free. Right. It's free. It's free. Yeah. Free of charge. And they give you a free shirt. Yeah. You get a free pair of Converse that day. And then um, and then from that point forward, they have a rehearsal studio there. 
And as long as you book it a week in advance, it's free. So we get to we rehearse there for free. And that's only if you've been if you've been chosen. Yes. Right. So one, it's basically you're a member for life once you get chosen mm -hmm. to have a free recording studio. And to rehearse, to rehearse, rehearse the studio. Rehearse the studio. They also have a live space, so like bands will come in. We played a, we played a. Uh, they have a contest, Congress called the Get Out of the Garage Music Contest. We would submit songs, and then they choose the top five bands mm -hmm. and make them compete at the Congress Studio. Uh, this year, it was us, four other bands, and then the headlining band, Best Coast, which people may or may not know. They were assholes, but that's fine. I don't care. Whatever. They can listen to this. It's true. But they sponsored, and then the winner of the contest gets twenty-five grand and a spot on Jimmy Kimmel in the summer. Okay. Uh, and then all the losing bands got twelve thousand dollars worth of equipment. So we ended up getting like a new Gretsch drum set. I got three new guitars. We got bass. GoPro. Got a, we got a GoPro. We can use awesome. So they're definitely a whole set of studio working. mics. Yeah. They're amazing. They're amazing. They do. They do so much. But you just got to be continuously willing to put yourself out there and try to yeah, get in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. is there any cash? I really don't think there is. But it saves you all kinds of money. You're getting $12,000 in merchandise. Now, not, every, not that, everybody's going to do that. The opportunity, even if you just walk away from it with a new t-shirt and a pair of Converse's, that's like $120 mm -hmm. in your pocket right there. I think there. the only reason people don't apply is because they... Don't know they about don't, it? They feel not ready. Like, I don't okay. know what to play. Just, just submit. It's so weird, you know? I found out about the Get Out of the Garage for this year, the week that it was going to be done. Mm -hmm. Like it was, I found out Monday and everything had to be on Friday, even though they, it had been going on for like a month. And we didn't have a music video and we had a new album. So I, I recorded the Golden Time music video specifically for that contest. Now I know it's just the, the bouncing peach. <laughs> it's just the weirdest video. And I put it up there and I was like, well, we got a video now. So Right. Done is better than perfect. We, we entered. And that was in October, right? Don't it was like October, and then in, and I forgot about it. And then in January, they announced the top five, and we were in the top five. And I was like, that's amazing. But it wouldn't have happened if I didn't dig in and make that video that week. Like, you know, right. it's, an, it's a stop-motion animation video. It did take me a lot of time to do it. But, but it was worth it, because I could have just been like, we'll enter next year. You know, we're not going to be able to get something together that's good enough, or you know, we're not going to be able to decide. And, yeah, like we cannot you, like. You went for it. You got to go for it. This is where everyone you cannot feel like you're not good enough because we all have. We all feel that we're not good enough, right? At some point, but just do it. Just take action. What's the worst that could happen? You lose. What's the best? That's your that biggest happen? fear too. You yeah. lose. But meanwhile, when what, you lose, you learn something. That's what stops people. Right. So yeah. no, don't let anything get in the way of what you truly care about and want to do. Our first music video was on an iPhone. Was it on three? I edited it on an iPhone three. Three. I bought like the app Splice, where you have to edit on the iPhone like this close. Like you take little clips and put them next to each other. Like why not? We didn't have. I didn't have Final Cut. It's for right. We used what you could use for a song called "Those Middle Years." Yeah. If there's a a band listening to this right now, that besides the Converse Rubber Tracks information, which was fantastic, there's a band that's trying to make a bigger name for themselves, that they're quote-unquote indie, what advice would you give them to increase their presence? To increase your presence as an indie band? Um, or just in general, as a band? I would say put a YouTube channel together, and while you're making your own original music, also make, you know, experiment with, with, with who you're going to be and how, how you're going to come across. There's no harm in making cover videos while you're writing the album and putting the band together where you're just playing acoustic like some cool 
new cover tune. What about like B-roll footage? You shoot B-roll footage of yourself while you should you're be doing. You should be doing that. Yeah, definitely. You should be recording stuff of you at the studio and on stage and whatever else. However, you're preparing and stuff. This is a this is a very the way that this culture today consumes stuff is. It's almost like everything is a reality television show. It sounds like I'm saying something negative, but people now have the access to your life that they never had before. So yep. they're they're as interested in the singer of a band brushing his teeth or like accidentally dropping his phone in the toilet as they are in your performance. I hate to say that, but it's right. Just true. No, it's true. Otherwise, Twitter um, wouldn't exist. Yeah, and YouTube wouldn't exist. Right. I mean, some of YouTube is music videos. The majority of YouTube it's all is a French bulldog that can't turn over and. Someone accidentally shooting himself in the balls. Like it's not. It's not like. It's just, that's where we're at, and it sounds negative the way I put it. But what it is is people connecting with other humans and seeing their faults and failings and feeling like they're a part of a larger canvas of things happening in the universe. And I think the other thing is that just because you don't have a lot of money, that doesn't even have to stop you anymore. It shouldn't stop you. No, you no. have all this at your fingertips at all times. That's another excuse. Well, if you're going to spend $115 on an Apple phone bill every month, use it for its like real capability. People are spending seven or eight grand on drinking on the weekend. And in a year. over the course of a year? Over the yeah. course of a year. Yeah. That's right crazy. there, that's a music video and an EP. Yes. And, you know, some photos, some good photos for the band. I'm just saying, if you're, if you're always escaping on the weekend, you're always trying to like kind of blur the lines between reality and because you're like, maybe you're not... Just like give, take that money and pull it. Use it for something you that's going to give you something. You can do it. Yeah, don't just throw it away. You're either consuming yeah. or creating. So it's very true. Yeah. So what are you? Wise decision. I, right. I love creating. Consuming. No, I, I, I know to, you are. Oh, I, I consume too, but um, you have to in, uh, also accept imperfections. Lots of uh, artists. They won't show anything until it's perfect. You have but to understand what that what it means there, to be perfect there and not is perfect. No, but there is no such thing as perfection. Exactly. exactly. Even, what I mean. even as OCD as I am, I, I've learned to let go through playing in this band. I think in the beginning I was telling John, don't share this, don't share that. Oh, oh it's not perfect. I would make him like re-edit videos and, and stuff. She's still doing that. <laughs> but there needs to be some of that too. You know. Yeah, I, no, it's been helpful. It's a balance. I was right about a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm right about other stuff. <laughs> that seems like you know what I mean? a good partnership So today. that's two people right about two things instead of one person right about one thing and wrong about the other thing. How it's far down the road are you looking right now? In music? Yeah. In, in music? That's an interesting question. Right now we're recording an acoustic album. Okay. I've heard you guys acoustically and you sound fantastic. Oh, you did? I did. Oh, I that, okay. What have you heard? Christmas party oh. two years ago. <laughs> now First I time you met Sam. Yes. Oh yeah, now I remember. Yeah, that was a very intimate show. We're doing so right now. All of them are choosing cover songs too. This is like a three-part acoustic album. It's going to be acoustic versions of stuff from our previous albums, so acoustic "Golden Time Peach" and last concert songs, acoustic covers, songs that inspire us, songs that are completely out of genre. Doesn't matter. Doesn't have to be all stuff that that's like what we do. And then new stuff, brand new songs. That's awesome. Brand new acoustic songs, and you know, so like that's the. That's so you're the giving people, who know your music, something to wet their palate. Mm -hmm. Giving people who like music, oh, let me hear that acoustic of you playing Buddy Holly. Mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. And then you're saying, by the way, listen to this new one. Yeah, new stuff too. 
It's a three. It's a three part system. It's a meal. Sound. It's a meal. It's a meal, and it's great. Actually, it's really freeing acoustic music. I get to just pick covers and do it, and pick songs from the from the old albums and do them. Sometimes being in a band, you're almost like you're almost like controlling yourself. You know, mm -hmm. like the album like Golden Time has to sound completely consistent like one album. You know what I mean? Not to say that the acoustic won't. But the fact that every song is acoustic will kind of put it in the same genre. Sure. It's going to do it. Right. Know? Right around itself. It'll do it. It's so if we cover acoustic. an old standard right next to a stroke song, it's not going to sound as off as if we covered the strokes as a live band and then did like a Duke Ellington tune. Right. It's just going to be two acoustic songs. Our voice is the same. The acoustic's the same. Sure. It's going to... So it just this opens... It's opening up a lot. That's and I awesome. Can, yeah. So I'm, feel, I'm feeling good about that. So looking down the road... Right now, for me, I just I think the next thing I want to do is be able to tour that because you can tour easily. Well, you don't even need a band; a, you just an need acoustic a setting with an acoustic and John and Olive. Yeah, and we could go to radio stations, play live on the air, and then just go right that night, play an acoustic show. And you can play in a bookshop. You can play in a rock club. It's interesting. It is. Yeah. It, it opens up more doors for you. Actually, there is something I wanted to share earlier. Quickly, there are five questions that I want to share with. Your listeners. Okay. That really helped me. Okay. So bring us back to what what are we gonna do like besides just making money? Uh, or, or what is your true calling? So I'll, I'm gonna quickly go through that. Okay. Um, I didn't make this up. This is by um, Ty Lopez, which is um, an internet mentor of mine. So the first question you ask yourself, question one of five, what did you want to do at 14 years old? Okay. Because at the time you're you're not afraid and you dream, so the thing that you used to love to do, is still the things that that you might want to do now, but you might have forgotten. The second one is what have strangers complimented you on as a child? What did they say that you're good at? So think about that. Third question: What did you grow up around? Like, what did your parents used to do? Um, did you? grow up among adults or you play with kids and what's the background of growing up like what, what you are exposed to sure so conservative parents you know liberal parents whatever right what did they push you to be right so question four what have you been doing in the last 10 years okay i think that's really relevant for, for people our age like we've been doing something for long enough we kind of know we love it hate it but I'm still a little confused whether we should, we should keep going or start something completely new. But you, you always learn from something that you, you did. Sure. So don't, don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. You say. Um, the last question. On a Saturday night when you're out with friends, what can you talk about effortlessly? <laughs> so those are the things that we really... Oh, those uh, are five good questions. Yeah, passionate about it. Compare the answers, like don't compare to other people, compare to yourself, your, uh, how you are in the past and now, and you will kind of know what you can invest more in um, for your future self. And that helped me find uh, what I love doing. Thank you. That was amazing. I, I... <laughs> yeah, that was, it's, good. it's a good meditation, those questions. It is. It's absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's talking about keeping you centered. Pulling in the past to know who you are in the present and where you can go in the future. Thank you. Not that I knew what I wanted to do at 14. No, but there were still things that you liked. Yes. Yeah. The kind of person you were. Yeah. You are who you are at 14. 
just like you are who you are at five and at 90. We're still who we are. <laughs> Internally, when we're by ourselves, same person. Always will be. Thank you. That was, that was awesome. What kind of things would you guys like to plug for yourselves? Well, I mean, not enough people have heard the new album yet. Okay. So Golden Time? At, yeah, at latecambrian.com, you can, you can purchase Golden Time, which is the new album. Okay, and if people want to hear a few preview tracks, they can do it on SoundCloud, right? Absolutely. SoundCloud.com backslash Lake Cambrian. Uh, actually, they can hear the entire album on SoundCloud. Okay. Which is either a really good idea or a really bad idea for selling it. Sure. But then again, people don't want to go to SoundCloud and listen to that all the time. You can't listen to it when you don't have internet service. Right. So in a way, you probably it's, it's just good to hear it and you know the full album. Sure. I stand behind the whole thing, so I'm not like... Trying to hide the songs from you because they're not good, and hope that you buy them all out. You know, so it's and they can also hear tracks from Peach and they oh, can yeah. hear Walk of Shame. They can hear these things. Walk of Shame is the first track on there. It's doing really good. Any other social media things? Twitter, Facebook. Yeah, everything is Lake Cambrian. So at Lake Cambrian on Twitter yeah. and on Instagram. Spell that for me, just so that people know. L A T E late, like the opposite of early, and then Cambrian C A M. B R I A N, Late Cambrian. So Facebook.com backslash Late Cambrian. Twitter is just Late Cambrian. Instagram. All the same thing. It's all there. Late Cambrian. But at latecambrian.com, when you go to the site, all, all the little social media links are there. So you can go through the site too. Perfect. And the site has all the music videos, any shows we have coming up, and uh, the t shirts and merch and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, reach out to us. We're totally reachable. They are. Very, <laughs> very accessible people. The email comes right to me. It does. It does. It absolutely does. That's how I use it to communicate sometimes officially with you guys. When we, when people buy stuff from the site and I, I thank them, they're like, I didn't know I was going to get the singer. They think that someone's working it. But right. This is a, it's, you know. It's indie. It's an in-house. We're in-house. Yeah, exactly. So. I want to thank you guys for being so open with me today, talking about some of your biggest fears and how you've overcome them. And uh, thank you for cueing me into and cueing the audience into where you're going next. Thank you, James, for having us. I have to say that it's because of your interview with Skills that we were so honest. Oh, thank you. you. Are, some, you interviews, yes. some interviewers make you want to shut down and not tell them anything and just give you the three or four talking points that you bring on the tour. Thank you're you. You're really so yours, listening. Yours was more about probing, probing the soul and the sense uh, of self. Did you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? I just like to probe things. <laughs> James, James Scully, excellent, excellent prober. And I love your knowledge of the Beatles. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate that, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. John and Olive, thank you for sharing your time and your opinions. I love the dynamic that the three of us had. John, so passionate, so opinionated in such good ways, not afraid to share his opinions, not afraid to put someone on blast if they need to be put on blast. Sometimes you gotta do that in life. We can't always turn the other cheek or we can't always not call a spade a spade. Sometimes you've gotta. Olive, very, very patient, chooses her words carefully, knows what she wants to say. Fantastic dynamic between the three of us. Sometimes I feel the need to just jump in and say something. I've got to sometimes pull back too and let someone finish their thought. This is a learning process for me as well. This interview, when we recorded it, I didn't even know how much time we were recording. You get sucked in, guys, when you do these things. I'm learning as I'm presenting these interviews to you. Each week, 
I learn something new about myself because I'm learning from the greatest teachers that we can have, the people that we respect and care about. These interviews are such a great excuse for me to sit down with friends, person to person if I can, and talk to them. I'd like to thank Olive and John. As you know, their band, Late Cambrian, can be accessed via social media just by searching for Late Cambrian on basically any kind of channel. If you go to latecambrian.com, you can buy their newest album. If you go to soundcloud.com slash latecambrian, you can hear some of their latest tracks. You can find them on social media. You can also email them through their website. They are very responsive people. That's how I became friends with them. And look at this two years later. They're sitting down with me for an interview. We're sharing our own vulnerabilities and our passions in life. Sometimes all it takes is a little bit of email and you make a new friend because of it and you find that you have more in common with people than you necessarily thought. In two weeks, I'm coming back with episode 21 of this podcast. It is going to be from across the pond. I am interviewing my first international guest, a man that lives in England and is doing wonderful things for himself in culling together the necessary things that he needs to be happy, to be creative, and to be finding that his passion is satiated in his life. As always, the guests will remain nameless for now. I do that because sometimes things don't line up and I don't want to promise something that I can't deliver. But I am promising you that this interview will be happening and it will be premiering in two weeks on August 15th. So, like I've always said, once again, soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers iTunes, search for The Wall Breakers, subscribe, rate us, follow us, tell a friend, tell two friends, guys, word of mouth, the only way that these things are getting spread. And if you like what I'm doing, tell somebody, please, I'm asking you because I want to help increase the reach of these things. I want to be able to have more time to produce these. I want to have the time to write these up, make them interviews that you want to listen to. I want to build this community and it's not something that I want to be the head of. I just want to look around and say, wow, there's so many good people in my life that I care about that help me go forward. I think we all want that, and we already have that, and we just have to continue to tap into it. I'm going to close this podcast by featuring a song from Olive and John of Late Cambrian, Golden Time, the name of the song from the album Golden Time. It's their what you would call single, if that's what John wants to call it, since it's a song that he'd like to push, and I don't blame him because it's excellent. And I want to thank John and Olive once again. Tell them I love them. Hope that I'll see them soon. And please, guys, keep getting out there. Keep breaking those walls. Think about how much easier life is when we don't have walls up all around us. What happens when you can see that open field for miles around you? It does something to your psyche. So remember, it's August. It's harvest season. Harvest your skills. Harvest your happiness. Harvest the things that you need to do to keep getting from A to B on a daily basis. They're going to keep sending those bills in the mail. Can't do anything about it. But what we can do is change our perspective and enjoy our lives. And I'm not saying that you aren't doing that. I'm saying that you are, that you're special, that you're wonderful, and keep getting out there. Keep breaking those walls. My name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls, Episode 20. Until next time, I'll catch you on the flip side. And here's Golden Time from Late Cambrian to close the podcast. Thank you very much.